when it comes to facing the woke mob, we are presented with all kinds of questions. When should you go along? When should you stand firm? When should you fight back? And when should you even retreat? How can you face the woke mob in a way that honors Jesus Christ as Lord and loves your neighbor as yourself? This is what we're talking about on today's show. This is Worldview Legacy, the show that helps Christian laymen to become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekes. I am the president of the Think Institute, and I'm a former pastor who used to defend his faith the completely wrong way, and then the Lord changed my attitude and my approach, and today I work with Christian men to help you lead your family in the biblical worldview so that you and your wife and your kids will be able to confidently answer the world's questions from the Bible and see Jesus change lives as you share your faith. So how should you face the woke mob? This is something that you need to know about today in our ever-changing culture. It's going to help you become better prepared to work and have an influence in your local area. And having this knowledge of how to navigate the ever-changing demands of the culture is going to help you better prepare your kids for the challenges that they're going to have to face in the future as you're seeking to raise them up to know and follow Jesus Christ. Now, to help us answer these questions today, we are joined by Juan Elias Riesco. Juan ran the number one rated restaurant in Chicago and was launching a successful clothing brand until everything changed in 2020. Now, for most people, facing down the woke mob is metaphorical, but it's not metaphorical for Juan. Juan literally faced an actual mob in 2020. And when you hear why, and when you hear how he handled it, you're going to be inspired. Juan is basically the perfect person to help us understand how to stand up to woke ideology today, as well as the LGBTQ movement and so many other leftist neo-Marxist causes. Now, maybe your company is putting you through diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings right now. Or maybe you're being pressured to put your pronouns in your email signature. Or maybe you've caved and made concessions in the past that you wish you hadn't. You wish you could take them back. Maybe you just want to grow more confident in your ability to stand firm on the truth of God's word when all of society seems to be pushing against you. You are going to find today's conversation really, really helpful. Specifically, you're going to hear Juan Elias talk about what his life was like before he became saved and how he became a Christian, how he was able to leave his homosexual lifestyle behind him, what it was like to build the number one rated restaurant in Chicago, only to have it all collapse in a few days, how he handled the BLM and LGBTQ-inspired protesters, and why he moved out of Chicago to Dallas, only to then return to Chicago and what he's doing now. You'll also hear what he thinks is the holiest thing that you can do in your job today. Now, if you find this entertaining, inspiring, and you want more resources like this, you have got to know about our free 
online community. This is the fellowship where you can get access to tons of resources and conversations and all the stuff that you need to help you grasp the tools of knowledge and logic and apologetics and get the advice that you need to help you on your spiritual and theological journey. I'll tell you more about it at the end of this episode. So let's dive in. What's up, everybody? My name is Juan Elias Riesco. I am 31 years old, born and raised in a small town in Illinois called Chicago. I have been in business, specifically the restaurant business, for about 10 or around 10 years. And now, by God's grace, the Lord has led me to full-time ministry here in Chicago, working in the pro-life movement, or as I like to say, bringing the gospel and the church to the abortion clinics movement, rather. All right. Well, we are here with my friend Juan Elias Riesco. And as always, we want to get into the good stuff right away. So Juan, I, I have to ask you a question, man. Now that Nini's Deli is uh, closed, what's the best sandwich shop in Chicago? Oh man, bro. I was not ready for that question, bro. You gave me a list of questions and that one was not on it. Oh, that is maybe- true. That is true. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out a place that I actually have never been to, but is on my heart. And it is a Chicago staple, and it's Johnny's Grill, the old school Italian beef sandwich. I've heard it's amazing. And I'm going to go with them because it, every time I see it, I want it. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it. And if there's anybody who knows, it would be Juan Elias. So thank you. Thank you for that, brother. That's good. That's good, man. I'm always looking for good places to eat in the city. Tell me about your own background. And let's start with your parents. Your parents, your dad grew up in Cuba. Mom grew up, or at least was born in Mexico. How did they get together and how did they come to move to Chicago? Absolutely. So my father was a, uh, my father's family were refugees from Cuba to America. My grandfather in Cuba was a political prisoner. He served in, he was in jail for about five years or so, and then was a slave to the communist party on the sugarcane fields for about five years. And during that time was when my family on my dad's side immigrated to America. They purchased a small grocery store in the neighborhood where my restaurant that I, my family and I owned together was. And at that same time, around that same time, my mother's family from Mexico immigrated to Chicago. And so my mom and her family were frequent customers of my father's business. And shortly after that, they got married. And so that's how my family came to America. That is very cool. And so you grew up with your parents running that business, correct? That's right? right. Yeah. So I grew up in the grocery store. My parents ran that business. I learned a lot about servanthood, loving your neighbor and things like this there. Though my parents weren't saved, I would say they were relatively upright and strived to do good as best Mm. as they could. Did you go to church at all when you were growing up? Yeah. So my dad, because he was fatherless in America, first job that he had um, was at a Muslim uh, deli, actually. And so my father was discipled by a Muslim man from his early teens onward. Um, and so he converted to Islam after coming to America. Wow. Um, and my, my mother's side of the family, uh, they were probably identified more as Roman Catholic. Um, but um, if you're familiar with Mexican culture, um, and the Roman Catholic influence that they have, oftentimes it, it'll re- present itself more as honestly like new age and kind of witchcraft Um, And so that was my religious upbringing. Uh, a lukewarm Muslim is what I call my father and a uh, Roman Catholic, you know, new age mother, um, but both of which serve Jesus at this moment. So how did your dad go from being a lukewarm Muslim to 
becoming a believer? Well, my, so my, my conversion, my father's conversion and my mother's conversion is all by God's grace uh, through the faith of my older brother, just to be completely honest. So my older brother was a, a Latin king, which is a pretty prolific gang here in the city. Um, and a, a pastor from the church that we all still attend uh, preached to him, man. And, and they went to high school together and just shared the gospel with my older brother. And the way I like to say it is as radical as my brother was for his gang life is how he became for Christ. And really wow. a, a radical Christian is nothing more than a biblical Christian. But I just use those, those words because it makes sense. But um, and so my brother did what the scriptures say in Matthew 22, 9, I think it is, a, invite all to come into the, the wedding supper. So my brother would invite everybody to Christ, asking everybody in the family that we need to repent, put their faith in Christ, and mm. it worked. Yeah. That is amazing. What a testimony to the impact that one family member can have on his loved yeah. ones. Because I'm, I'm sure your brother was praying as mm -hmm. well as, as well as evangelizing. So yeah. What yeah. was your life like before you met Jesus? Yeah, amen. So before I came to Christ, I like the way I really explained myself was I was a drug addicted homosexual. Um, I s hooked up with men. I was constantly searching for sex and love. Um, I, I, I explored women for a while in my you know teens and early twenties, and and I realized that it just wasn't enough. And and I I identified as a homosexual probably from like seventeen onward um, until I got saved. Um, and on top of that, I, 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 you know, was deep, deeply invested in crime life, criminality. Um, I used to shoplift from the stores on Michigan Avenue. Um, I, I was a graffiti artist. So I loved wickedness. I loved darkness. My, my flesh craved it. And my heart was so empty. I would just try to fill it with as much darkness as I could. Um, and, and it had gotten to a point in my 20s when I had just felt like I was really hitting rock bottom. Hmm. That's and when, to, thankfully, thankfully, that's when I got preached to. So, and you moved to San Francisco for a while too. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I wanted to explore homosexuality, and I knew that you know San Francisco was the mecca for this you know particular identity. And so I moved there. Uh, I think I was nineteen or something. I don't know how I ever convinced my parents to let me do that. Um, well, I was an adult, so I just did it. And uh, yeah, I, I I really just got more and more lost while I was there. So when you first heard the gospel, it was from your brother? Yeah. So um, uh, my parents had realized that my life was not going good in San Francisco, um, that I, I wasn't producing any good things while I was there. Um, and they were like, we're done. You said you were going to go to college. You're not even going to college. You know, you don't even have like a real good job or anything like that. Like, we're done. We don't want to support you. You're mm -hmm. out of our life unless you want to like come back home um and serve and our family business you can do that but if, if you don't want to like we don't want anything to do with you basically mm -hmm. um and that really put the fear of god in me man because at that point in my life i was really cut loose and i had never been out on my own to this degree like i was living in san francisco but my parents were like helping me and stuff financially and i moved home that's when my brother got saved and my parents were like if you come home you have to work in the family business mm -hmm. and uh and i did and uh the rest you know that's the, then I heard the message there. So, so how did you feel about coming back and working in the family business? Well, at the time, the family business was a no name. No, you know, they were not successful. It didn't look like it was even going to last at all. Mm. Um, my parents didn't have really a background in this sort of business. It was a restaurant. They come from groceries, so it was completely new. But when I had gotten saved, I really sensed the Lord wanting me to stay there and serve my parents. 
and bless them and also serve the community. And so we went, Joe, from being a no-name you know, business that I didn't think was ever going to make it to, by God's grace, by 2018, 2019, and 2020, we were rated the number one highest rated restaurant on Yelp in the whole city of Chicago. Three what? years in a row. What? Three, years, three years in a row. That is insane, man. That's ridiculous. Well, oh my God's grace, bro. Anyone who knows the Chicago food market, and I tell people this all the time who are not from Chicago, Chicago is a very competitive restaurant scene. Yeah. And you have to have the best food and the best service or people wow. will not come to you. They will go down the street and you will be out of business in six weeks. Right, so, everybody's a food critic here. Everybody is a food critic. <laughs> people, yes, people, people don't always realize that. And so to be rated number one like that, that is quite an accomplishment man. it was all glory to god bro i mean i didn't i definitely had no food experience but as i would work unto the lord god would bless me with ideas and visions and creativity and we just we just sought him we put the kingdom of god first and we would tell people we're born again christians we love the lord and and people were like yeah you know n nobody really thought anything of it until 2020 so you come home you start running the business and it seems like very early on you started running it with with biblical wisdom. Um, you said you didn't have any experience in the the food industry, and yet the Lord, None. it sounds like the Lord gave you the wisdom to be able to do that. But when did it click for you on where you were like, I actually need Jesus. Like I need to trust in him, repent of my sins. When did when was that moment? Was there an exact moment for you when that clicked? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So September 13, 2013 is when um the Lord got a hold of my heart in a new way, in a salvific way, rather. Mm. Um, and what happened was, is my parents kind of put to me an ultimatum. They said, look, we don't really believe in the God that your brother is serving, but the God that your brother serves changed him. <laughs> and the only way you can stay in our home, and now they put it, my parents kind of moved the goalposts a little bit. They said, now the only way you can move in our, live in our home and work in our business is if you go to your brother's church. And um, they were like, if it worked for your brother, man, hopefully it'll work for you, you know? And so I went, bro, I went and I heard the gospel message. Um, I think I went probably in like March, I think March or April. And then by September, I gave my life to the Lord or the Lord, you know, got a hold of me. What's the name of the church? Metro Praise International Church. So it is MPI. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I followed I followed Metro Praise a little bit, um, especially because I was up there on the northwest side when my oh, yeah. family and I lived in the city, and um, I was kind of familiar with some of the churches up there. Like, uh, like I did a little bit of work with City Lights Church. And, yeah, amen. Yeah, and uh, so I got to know those guys, um, a few other churches up there, and so I got to know Metro Praise. And I'll tell you one thing that I noticed about Metro Praise, and I know I know we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, I'm sure, but the pastor seemed to take a very bold stand in the face of everything that was going on in 2020. I mean, I'm talking the the COVID restrictions. I'm talking the the riots and the protests and all that stuff. Um, his name kept on coming up, and that church kept on coming up. Um, what can you give a shout out? What's your what's the lead pastor's name there at Metro Praise? Absolutely. So the the elder at my church that serves as a pastor, his name is Joe Wyrostek. He's the, um, the, sh the currently functioning as the shepherd here. Got it. Okay. And so that, that church clearly had an impact on you, man. Um, 
did you was it did you feel right at home as soon as you came in was there a, a period of adjustment was there you know would, how, how did that process of acculturation into that church play out for you yeah well you got to think about it man i was a wicked homosexual drug addicted young man i i didn't want anything to do with that place when i first got there i thought my pastor was a hoax um i thought he was putting on the show um I, I, my mom said that I even complained about the AC one day, like everything was, everything was wrong. Everything was wrong. Um, but when I, when, when the Lord saved me, all, all of that was stripped away and I realized that I was right where God wanted me to be. So yeah, I would say the adjustment was like only during the time when I wasn't saved yet. And then the moment I was justified, bro, all of that got stripped away and, and I knew I was right where God wanted me. to be. Amazing. All right. So w- what's an example one of something in your life that dramatically changed after you became a Christian? Yeah, well, the way I like to say it is like this, bro. I went from being a homo to holy. <laughs> wow, so no, dude. I, Praise God. Yeah, well, when nobody had to tell me that, uh, you know, this lifestyle was a sin. The Bible plainly says it. First mm-hmm. Corinthians 6, 9, Romans chapter 1. And when I gave my life to the Lord, bro, it, 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 and I, I don't, and the reason why I say homo to holy as opposed to homo to straight it's because God redeemed everything about me, not just my sexuality, bro. He redeemed my mind. He redeemed my desires. Uh, he redeemed my passions and, and the gifts that he had given me and saw, showed me how it was made for his glory and not mm. made for my own glory. And so I would say, you know, oftentimes when we preach on the sheets, because our ministry is very even evangelistic, you know, when I tell, uh, when I'm, you know, coaching young men, I'm like, man, if you speak to a man who identifies as gay, you don't have to necessarily harp only on the fact that he's a homosexual. Why? Because he maybe also is a drunkard. He maybe also is a liar, a slanderer, a gossip. Mm. You know, and all of these things will will be counted against him on his day of judgment. Mm. So definitely, definitely bring to his or her attention that homosexualizes sin. But please, you know, don't harp on it any more than slander, gossip, or not not anymore. But remember rather that these things are are also in this person's life, probably, and God can redeem it all, all of it, not just amen. the homosexuality, but the whole thing. Man, amen. That, that's, that is a, a very powerful message, bro. I mean, that that's amazing uh, and very true. And so while you're running this business, you're, you, you take over Nini's Deli. Um, yeah. Help me understand how the, the other business endeavors that you had fit into that. So you were doing, you had this deal with Adidas Originals, um, you had your brand, Chicago Native. Yeah. So um, when I was working at Needy's, I had had previous endeavors that I was excited about. Um, I loved fashion. You know, when I was living on San Francisco, I learned a lot about fashion. I was working as an assistant to a hat designer. I was his personal assistant, so I would help him with designs and things like this. Um, in Chicago, I had always, when I was living in Chicago, I had had a passion for for fashion and design. Um, went to DePaul for graphic design for a little bit um, here in in Chicago. And so what I've realized is that by God's grace, as my business, Nini's, was picking up the restaurant, people were taking an interest in what I also did on the side. So they looked into, you know, my social media and things like this, and I was posting fashion designs I was doing. And so by God's grace, I started a clothing company called Chicago Native. With Chicago Native, um, I was designing a partnered collection with Derek Rose and Adidas Originals that was going to release globally uh, during All-Star Weekend that was the NBA All-Star Weekend that was going to be in Chicago. Um, 
I also have designed, uh, had, had played a part in designing two different uh, Nike tennis shoes um, that were like collaborative efforts with me and Nike. Um, and so God had really opened up a handful of doors for me, um, not just in the restaurant space, but also just in, you know, graphic design business, fashion design world as well. Okay. So, so you're on top of your game in so many different areas. The, the business is rated number one. You've got these other deals. You've got these deals with you know, Derek Rose. You had something going with the Chicago fire too, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did a partnership with them. And, and all this, all of a sudden everything changes. What happened in summer of 2020? I think um, what, what happened to me is probably a microcosm example of what happened to the whole nation. Um, after we had gotten all the success by God's grace, 2020 came and everyone was like, hey, what do you think about George Floyd? And everybody was put under the pressure and really had to make a decision for what they believed. Do you want to repeat the slogan, Black Lives Matter? Or can you, you know, separate yourself from it? And, and are you willing to separate yourself from it and take whatever he comes after? I mean, Christians, secular people, Muslims, everybody was placed. And, and if you were in a metropolitan area, was placed under that pressure, man, almost everybody. And I was one of them. I just happened to be one of them. And um, basically, I didn't make a statement when George Floyd was initially killed, though many businesses in Chicago did. Many businesses in Chicago, you know, put up the black square on their social media, which was an image that showed um, um, that they stood with the Black Lives Matter movement. Many businesses made public statements about how they're going to donate money to the Black Lives Matter movement because this is what the general public in Chicago said was the right moral and ethical thing to do. As a born-again Christian, I do not see it fit for me to blindly go with any political movement, conservative, liberal, moderate, and all, before examining it personally is my own conviction. And so I wanted to do some research, talk to some people, see my thoughts. Well, but see, see, what, see what the deal was. Well, by God's grace, I had already been learning about Black Lives Matter before this happened with George Floyd, and I had already had a position on these things, and I just needed time to think about how I was going to say it. Obviously, as a Christian, my response was different. I'm like, I don't think anybody should be killed at the hand innocently. Nobody who's innocent should be killed. Okay. But I told them that, you know, I, I, I made a public statement on social media and I said, I don't believe anybody should be innocently killed, but I also believe that all lives matter to the Lord Jesus Christ because mm -hmm. all lives are made in his image. And my position was very simple. I do not stand with any movement that props itself against the word of God. Ooh. How do you see Black Lives Matter doing that? Or how did you see that? Yeah, absolutely. So Black Lives Matter was very explicit in their beliefs, which was good for Christians. Every Christian to some degree should be a person who likes to do research to some degree. Not yeah. everyone is going to be maybe, you know, an author of, of a, a heady theological book, but every Christian to some extent is called to give an answer for the hope they have in Christ that's first or second Peter. So by God's grace, we need to be a theologian or a researcher to some degree, to some degree. And so by God's grace, BLM put out their beliefs openly and their beliefs were very clear. We stand for the queer feminist movement. We stand for destroying what Westerners call as the nuclear, nuclear family, which is male and female together in holy matrimony. We stand 
to dismantle a Western, you know, American culture, which to some degree is rooted in Christian values at some point, we believe. Okay. So essentially what they're saying is we prop ourselves up against the word of God. If you read the, and then they say that their worldview is derived from Marxism. Let's zero in on what happened at Nini's Delhi in 2020, yeah. because we're talking about the Christian man's guide to standing up to the woke mob. And yeah. for most people, Juan, standing up to the woke mob is metaphorical. You know, right. it's online or it's maybe coming through something like their HR department at work, but it's not a literal mob. But for you, it was not metaphorical. Mm. So you, 2020 hits, everyone's pressuring you to say something, to respond in a certain way. You had your opinion. How did it go from an online controversy to a literal mob outside of the deli? Yeah, it was, it, you know, I think um, there was a lot of wind behind the sails of BLM at that time. There was a, a lot of momentum going in their way, and they were organizing very quickly as what seemed like. And so when one of the highest rated businesses in Chicago chose to stand against them, they, they felt probably like they had to uh, come out and, and make a show face um, because of um, the level that my business had operated at before. I think it was a big deal for them. And so the first day there was like 50 to a hundred people there. Um, and then the second day there were, they brought them in by the thousands. Um, they organized the whole Black Lives Matter protest to come in front of uh, my building. And we just, we just held steadfast to the scriptures, Brother Joel. They said, we're going to come out and protest. And we simply said, we're going to come out and preach. And we preached the gospel to those protesters, man. And then after, that was day one. And then that night is when we fled Chicago because the death threats were coming by the tens and by the hundreds, uh, probably accumulated well over a thousand, if not thousands of death threats at, at one point. And we left Chicago after that day. Man, I watched your documentary. It's called Paint the Wall Black, the story of Nini's Deli, I think, if, if I got that name right. And I just rewatched it again recently, today actually. And I got to tell you, when I saw how you guys went out and started street preaching, open air evangelizing in the morning that you knew the protests were coming, that was about the most inspiring. That was like a brave heart moment for me. I'm watching that and I'm like, are you kidding me? These guys know that the protesters are going to come. They, they've seen what they've been doing around Chicago and they get out there and their response is to start preaching the gospel before the protesters even show up. And it looked like while you were out there in the morning before they all showed up, it looked like there was a young man who came and was powerfully impacted by it. Is that right? What's the story yeah, there? Within Within the first couple of seconds of us opening up the microphone and started preaching the gospel, because we were just going to do, we knew they were coming. They had made it very clear, but we were, we we're open at like 8 a.m. It's a restaurant, you know, so we open early. So no protester is getting up at 8 a.m. really. So <laughs> right. we, we just started preaching, open air preaching. Um, and within the first couple seconds, maybe minutes tops, a young man comes up to us and verbally said, I want that Jesus that you're preaching about. How did that make you feel? Bro, we thought we were going to see Asbury Revival in front of Nini's Valley. 
I was like, for sure, this is going to be a Nini's Daily Revival. For sure. And within the second, we, within the first couple of minutes of starting, um, this dude like comes and says he wants to follow Jesus. We were so mind blown, bro. Mm. We thought for sure God was setting us up for a modern day revival. Yeah. That's literally what we thought. Well, we started preaching. The, uh, the um, protesters started coming slowly and um, we just kept on loving them, kept on preaching to them. My brother was reading scriptures word for word. Uh, he also was reading quotes from Charles Darwin because um, we were showing them how racism has been propagated through atheists, not Christians. Um, and we know that if you study Darwin, he talks about a superior race and how um, certain colors are more superior than other colors. And we were reading to them excerpts of that. Like we were going full on like apologetic gospel preaching, like loving them, trying to be in their world, you know, you know, meeting the, meeting the sinner in their sin, you know, type of approach, you know. And uh, man, um, the crowd just kept on growing. They kept on getting more and more vile. It went from like somewhat kind of peaceful dialogues to like cussing us out, spitting on us, pushing us, throwing things at us um, to the point where the police surrounded the whole place, the whole business. Wow. Um, and the, and everybody in the building had to get police escorted to their car. So the, the, the protesters followed me out of the business because there was only enough police officers to get out. Mostly the children and the women um, is what I meant to say. I'm sorry. There was the police came in to escort us, but they only had enough for children and women. So I was like, I'm just going to walk. I'm just going to go. She's going to go for it. Trust the Lord. Um, and so I did, by God's grace, me and another brother in the Lord. Um, we just walked through the crowd and um, they were spitting on us, cussing at us. And they blocked the car um, from, from, they blocked the car so we couldn't get in. And um, another brother who wasn't even saved at that time, um, but he like attended my church a couple of times, he was there. And he like had to like shove people out the way to get me in the car. And uh, he said that was a really pivotal moment for his faith. You know, like he was playing around with God, not really fully committed. And ever since then, I want to say he's been pretty on fire for God. Him and I wow. street preach together like once a month now. No way. <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. Okay. So you're getting attacked and, and there were even some longtime customers that were oh, yeah. there in the oh, mob. Yeah. How, oh, yeah. how did that make you feel? Yeah, well, I just kept thinking to myself, like looking at these people, there were friends I went to high school with in that mob. They were people that I know graduated Bible colleges. Like I had gone to dinner with them before. Like one of them, uh, you know, went to a Bible college in Chicago. The other one went to like, you know, major universities, bro, that you and I all know. And I'm like, dude, why are you guys here? Like y'all have my number. You guys know where to find me. You could text me, you could email me, but you know, people didn't want to play that in Chicago in 2020. People were more so about this group thing. You know, this is the right thing to do. You know, don't, if you even criticize it or bring any critique, you know, you're a bigot, you're a racist. And so, man, the way I felt was, um, I just felt like these people need Jesus. That's how I felt. I felt like these people are depraved and their hearts are darkened. And Lord willing, we can bring to them the message of Christ and that they'll get saved. That's, that's what we were thinking. Juan, why not just avoid the controversy and just say a, a phrase that is objectively true that we can affirm as Christians, Black Lives Matter. Why not just affirm that? Why not just make yeah. a, a temporary concession 
Because I saw that you put out a statement. I read the statement that you yeah. put out. I thought they would have been satisfied with it, but I yeah. apparently didn't go yeah. far enough. Why yeah. not just say, okay, you guys, yeah, Black Lives Matter, and then just mm. try to appease them so that you could be more winsome, if you will, and and sort of come back another day after things cooled down. Why not do that? Yeah, I appreciate you say, asking that question. And I just want to quote Paul in his epistle to the Galatian church. Chapter two, he says this. He says, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And in verse five, he says, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel could be preserved for you. Man, I really think, Joel, that God was making a way for the gospel to continue to be preserved in Chicago so that um, people could know, you know, what um, truth is, you know, what, what the word of God causes or leads people to do. The word of God divides. Jesus says, don't, don't you think that I came to bring peace on this earth, but to divide mothers from sons, sons from father-in-laws. The word of God splits people because the truth divides. And I knew that God was giving me a moment to be a part of, to share in his sufferings. And I, I couldn't pass that opportunity. I, it was too sweet. I had to, I had to, I had to go through with it. You know, so Lord willing, one person maybe could get saved, you know? So what a lot of people don't know about that story is God had been prepping me for that moment for a long time um, for sure. or for at least the, probably the, the, the year prior. So I'll yeah. tell you what happened. So about a year or so before somebody asked me my opinion on homosexuality through social media and my response was winsome. It was, you know, the, the, uh, not want to say Andy Stanley approach, but it was, it was, <laughs> it was not that, but it was not homosexuality is a sin. It wasn't a clear cut, concise answer. Hmm. And I said on or about, you know, I take the biblical perspective of sexuality. Mind you, I didn't even for, um, um, I, these people didn't even know my testimony. You know what I'm saying? So I asked them, I was like, well, Hey, can we get laundry or something to talk about it? And you know, cause I have the biblical approach and I thought I was going to be able to cool guy my way out of it. Anyways, I went to church the next day and repented to the first elder I could find. Because even though I said, I take the biblical approach, I didn't feel that I was as biblical as I should have been hmm. with my, with my answer. How so? Because I should have just said homosexuality is a sin. Okay. Because that was the answer that they were looking for themselves. And, and I felt like I went around, I went around it. A few short months after that, I was in a business deal with a person that was a very successful franchisee operator, excuse me, owner. And he was starting a franchise organization that he was going to help businesses launch. He has over 30 franchise locations that he started and has launched. 30 units. He told me, your business is so awesome, so well done. You, will, you can blink your eyes, young man. I was probably 26 or 27. You can blink your eyes 
and you'll have 30 businesses also. And I'll do all the work for you. And, or I'll do a vast majority of the work for you, you know? And I was also going to come on as the chief marketing officer for his franchisee organization, as well as being one of the business partners. So it was a multifaceted deal. Our first storefront from the franchise perspective was going to be in the Sears Tower, Chicago's busiest build, biggest building. And it, if you know Joel, I'm sure you do, they, they recently remodeled the first and second floor of the Sears Tower and made it a food court and also added some public space. And my business was going to be one of them. Come on. Yes, sir. I was, I, I was probably days, if not a week away from putting pen to ink to my contract. Um, when my older brother had made a post on social media and it said this, all caps, religious evaluation, Islam, bad, Buddhism, bad, Roman Catholicism, bad, Christianity, good. Okay, Simple. just so you know the type of preaching I come from. Yeah. And I said, amen. I was like, praise God, hallelujah. That's exactly right. And within moments, I got a phone call. Like I said, date or, well, the post had kind of started to trend on Twitter. Oh, Juan Firminis is affirming this. And then the franchise organization got a hold of it, messaged me, got on a phone call with me. And they said, hey, man, we know you're a Christian. But like, do you really believe that? Like, all these other religions are bad. Are you, are you sh like, what if our operators are Muslim? You still believe we're going to have people investing in us. Are you sure that's the messaging you want to put out? What people are not going to want to work with us. And I was on the phone, like I said, days away from probably one of the biggest deals that I had ever been involved in. And I said, I'm so happy you called to talk about this. Because that is exactly what I believe. And I'm so grateful that this happened moments before I signed because this is clearly not going to work. Wow. And it's better that we go our separate ways right now. Hmm. And I never spoke to that gentleman ever again. And I knew that God had prepped me from being like a Peter, turning away, being shy from a direct message on social media, not even a face-to-face -face conversation. I crumbled to a person asking me a Biblical one-on-one style question. And then God said, and then God set me up for having to lay down a big deal. And I, I really felt like it was a Peter moment. Then shortly after that is when the BLM situation happened. So God had prepped me for that moment. Amazing how God used those circumstances in your life. Yeah. So the woke mob attacks Ninis, and it was completely blowing up. You had had thousands of people there. And what eventually happened with Ninis? So when the death threats just did not stop coming, we knew we had to flee Chicago. It was getting so vicious. Um, just people, I was getting new numbers. at t would give me a new number. And then within moments, I would have people messaging me from my new number. And so my information was just getting hacked, uh, my bank accounts had been compromised. And I knew it was like, I just need to get out of the city. So with that night that we stood up against them um, for the, the sake of the gospel, we fled Chicago and we landed in Dallas, Texas by God's grace, where we helped 
plant Metro Praise number two, the Metro Praise Dallas by God's grace. And so really, it's still, yeah, yeah, we turned it into a church plant. Um, and so it's, it's still there by God's grace. Uh, they preach the gospel in the streets multiple times a week. The head pastor served under um, Joe here in Chicago for like 10 years. So he went out to be the pastor over there. And my older brother, um, Pastor Jared, is the pastor that's there. And uh, the disciples are out there, man, serving the Lord in Dallas. And so um, it, throughout that year, uh, I went from owning the number one rated restaurant in Chicago to working at eight dollar an hour job at a coffee shop and uh it it was it was uh interesting man i mean i just trusted the lord because when i would apply for jobs i it was hard for people to call me back because cnn nbc abc wgn they had all slandered me and called me all types of names and so it was really difficult for me to get a call back or an interview anywhere so I just went to a coffee shop. I was like, well, I'm, I could run this place. I could be a barista, whatever you want me to do, you know? Um, and so I just kept on sensing that I thought God would, would, you know, give me an opportunity to reopen the business one day. And so I had stayed out in Texas for a year. We came back to Chicago. We thought God was leading us to reopen it. Um, and he was, he was. It just didn't have the outcome that I thought. I thought it was going to be able to, we were going to be able to, um, you know, slowly build back up. And we just, it just didn't work out that way. Uh, um, so we ended up closing again a year after that, which brings us to September of 2022 is when we closed it for the second time. Was there still controversy and pr protest or absolutely threats and all Abs that stuff? Absolutely. Uh, many of the same news uh, broadcasters produced very similar messages again when, uh, I had stated that I was reopening, um, almost copy and pasting their old articles from 2020 into 21. Um, um, similarly, um, we would come to the restaurant and very often there would be feces from animals placed strategically on our front steps, uh, eggs thrown at our windows, graffiti on the walls. And it was all targeted uh, because I'm a Christian and they don't like my perspective. So yeah, it happened for about, you know, I would say the extent of the year that we were there and I just, I just would ask the Lord, you know, how, how much longer, you know, hmm. uh, how much longer do I need to, you know, um, how much longer do you want me here? Because I'll, I'll only be here if you walk. Juan is neo-Marxism of the enemy. Yeah. I would just quote Paul again in first Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. And, and he says this, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, no adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But wait, here's the good news. Verse 11, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our, our God. So absolutely, sin is from the enemy. But the good news is that Christ came to die for sinners. Brother Joel, you know this. And so my hope for everybody who is a part of wicked movements is become born again. God has hope for you if you repent and turn away from your sin. And so absolutely those, those things are from the deceiver himself, but the Lord can redeem them. And as long as there's air in their lungs, I believe it's not too late. Amen. So for our listener who is facing that mounting pressure at work to yeah. conform yeah. to the broader cause still being pushed through diversity, equity, and inclusion 
yeah, initiatives right. in corporate workplaces. I'm glad you made that clear because you can testify to the fact that this yeah. isn't just a disagreement between different ways of, of achieving God's justice in the world. It's actually good versus evil. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, give us the epilogue in terms of what happened since 2020 now that Mimi's Deli is closed. So I'll tell you this, Brother Joel, and this is how I always like to kind of wrap things up here is that God did not let my family down, not even for one second. Okay, at every turn, God had a surprise and a beautiful thing waiting for us. And I would I would ask uh, anybody listening today to turn to Mark 10, verse 30, where Jesus says, whoever loses anything for this gospel, whether it be a field, whether it be family, remember that I will give you 10, 20, 100 times more. And then he drops a little caveat and says, and 100 times more persecution just to keep you humble. But remember <laughs> this, friends. Remember this. God's word will never return void. He said it that he meant it. When my family lost everything, by God's grace, we lost our business, I mean, for the gospel and for the sake of, of preserving his message. Friends, God met us at every corner. Somehow I made $8 an hour and I was never late on rent and my family always had food on our table. And I love to show people this picture. It's a picture of my daughter sleeping with a towel as her pillow. We didn't have any furniture when we were in Texas. And the towel as her blanket. We didn't have blankets in Texas when we first got there. We had very little to our name. And the way that I always feel God is, what God is revealing to me through this photo is this. The way your daughter is peacefully sleeping with her head on a towel as a pillow and a, blank, and a towel as a blanket. Peacefully through the storm, son, is how I want you to sleep in this season. I will provide for you. That's why I just feel God putting on my heart that he's going to provide. Whether I have a towel as a, as a pillow and a towel as a blanket, God never let my family down. And I mean that with every ounce of my being. Wow. So tell us about what are you doing now? You're, yeah, you're, you're back in Chicago. Tell us yes. about the work you're doing and how, yeah. the, how the Lord is using you. Yeah. So what God has instilled in me is a new heart for the lost. My heart breaks for those who protested us. My heart breaks for those who see me as their enemy. And God has given me this passion for the lost people. So now by God's grace, um, I am a, um, I am a director for a pro-life ministry called Love Life USA. And my full-time ministry work now is to educate and mobilize local churches to come out to some of the darkest places in our city, which are abortion clinics, and to bring the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church to these moms and dads who are considering or have had abortion. And I believe that God is using my past success and pains of the restaurant to now serve these hurting moms and dads at the abortion mm -hmm. clinics and to help educate churches because when churches don't take a stand, or if churches that go so long without taking a stand against the wickedness of abortion, they can feel like, man, I'm going to lose a lot of congregation members uh, if, I, if I preach against this. And now what better person, by God's grace, the Lord has allowed me to be the person to encourage them to say, look, I've lost many things for God. And I could tell you, pastor, God will meet your needs. God will provide for you all that he needs. Whether it be a towel as a pillow, I know God will not forsake you, pastor. So I feel like God is using me to educate, mobilize, and encourage local churches here in the Chicagoland area to do this. 
yeah, God, the way that God has been with you and the way that God has provided for you and given you that sense of provision and calm and peace is so powerful, Juan. What do you say to the Christian layman who's not a pastor, who is seeking to lead his family through these times and is even trying to make an impact for the gospel at work, but is really feeling the pressure to conform? And I'm talking like putting uh, the the pressure to put your pronouns in your email or to go along with, um, you know, should he speak up during DEI trainings at work? What do you say to this guy? Where should he draw the line? And how can he do what you and your brother and your pastor did and use this as an opportunity to preach the gospel? Absolutely. It's such a good question. And the way I like to say it is like this. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, but I did not mean with the immoral people of this world or the covetous and swindlers or idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. You see, Paul says that I tell you not to associate with immoral people, but I'm not talking you to not to associate with the world. Why? Because then you would have to leave the world and you're called to be a light to the world. So sometimes I think the most holy thing, my pastor taught me this, the most holy thing you can do on your job sometimes is work. Work is oftentimes the holiest thing you can do on your job and be alert and attentive to when you can preach the gospel. But I think about someone like um, Daniel or Joseph who was trained up in the ways of the world around them and that made them more excellent in their realms. Like we can learn not to say like, this is truth or this is beneficial for me, but we can learn and be the most excellent amongst them. And so I think when we're in those spaces, we should be looking for who we can preach to or what we can learn to poke holes in it because any foundation that isn't the word of God is always foundationless. It's no foundation at all. So we can present to them errors and flaws and, and, and you know um, things like this in their DEI trainings and then even ask them, in this DEI training, is there room for the conservative Christian voice to be con- included? Ooh. And if there isn't, how do we reconcile this with the concept of intellectual diversity? If we are to be truly diverse in thought, shouldn't we bring someone from the opposite end? And I have seen that used for God's glory and bring benefit to Christians in an amazing way. Specifically, my pastor, Pastor Berto, did that in his school. He's a teacher in a, in a school here in Chicago. And they have now brought him in to the meetings to represent that side of thinking. Wow. Yeah, bro. Really? So I, I am praying <laughs> for Nehemiah-style favor hmm. to come upon any person who feels led to take that sort of nuanced position in these DEI trainings. I'm praying for favor over them, that they could become executives for that style of thinking in that DEI realm. You know what I call that? When there's momentum going in a direction against God and the Christian takes it and in a very presuppositional way, turns it around and uses it as an opportunity for the gospel, whether in word or deed. I call that apologitsu because, right? (laughs) That's good, bro. You're taking this momentum and you're just, you're turning it around. And man, you and I both know, I know you study presuppositional apologetics, and that's something we talk about a lot on this show. 
God has made evangelism easier for the Christian by making every non-Christian worldview ultimately incoherent and self-refuting. And so just getting used to asking the right questions. Now, if you can present it this way, frame it this way, in light of the fact that these ideas about equality, justice, these come from the Christian worldview. These don't come from Marxism. These don't come from Darwinism, as you said earlier, Juan. So I love that, man. And I am just so grateful to our mutual friend, Romy, for for connecting us. And uh, shout out to Romy Alariu, who's uh, just the man. I did see that you're getting hooked up with with Rafe Chenery, right? Yeah. That up. No, I okay. did an interview on his podcast, yeah. Oh, you did? Are you telling me Rafe interviewed you before I did? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rafe. Okay. <laughs> Rafe's got an amazing podcast called The Christian Optimist. Yep. Everyone should go check that out. Tell us about the 40-week journey of hope that you're doing with Love Life and how can we get involved with that? How can we learn more? Please. Absolutely. So by God's grace, one of the goals of my ministry position out here with Love Life is to take the city of Chicago on what I call the 40-week journey of hope. And what the 40-week journey of hope is, is every single Saturday till November from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., by God's grace, I'm going to be hosting a prayer walk around the busiest and darkest abortion facility in the city of Chicago, where they kill 20 to 30 innocent babies a day since 1988, amassing a total of a quarter million kills right here in the West Loop area of Chicago. And I am, by God's grace, setting up a stage, bringing speakers, and we're having a small worship service outside of this clinic. And we are connecting with Lord willing, looking to connect the 40 different churches and pastors to come and do what we call adopt the week and take over that abortion clinic with us in prayer 40 Saturdays in a row. So whether I get 40 churches or not, I'm still going to be there doing it 40 Saturdays in a row till November from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m at 659 West Washington Boulevard in the West Loop area, Family Planning Associates is what the Mm. place is called. So please come join us. And if you're interested about just learning more about love life or how you can serve moms and dads who are abortion-minded, please, please email me. It's juan at lovelife.org, J-U-A-N at lovelife.org. Please, I would love to partner if you have a passion to serve these hurting people. I love the fact that you're doing this ministry, Juan. What inspires me about your story is that you were not out crusading against BLM. They found you. Mm-hmm. And you you resisted, you stood firm, and God used your failure, as you put it, and then God used your your circumstance and your experience. He got you through it, and and he, through that, brought you into a new stage of ministry. And I just want to encourage our listener right now, if you're, if you're right now, if you're looking for that place of how can I serve, it's just like Juan just said, sometimes the best thing you can do is just work. And when the opportunity finds you, be ready for it. And then as you stand firm, understand God could very well be using that situation to bring you into that place Mm. that maybe you're not ready for right now, but God is going to, God is going to bring you to that point and prepare you for it. Yeah. And so that's that's a big takeaway that I have from your story, Juan, is if we stand firm now, God can use that to prepare yeah. us for something he has us, he has for us later. Bro, and, that um, is so powerful. And I've never really drawn that conclusion, like heard it that way. 
Um, and I just want to add one last tidbit. I never thought I was going to be in full-time ministry. In fact, I was the type of guy who said, I'm going to only fund missionaries. I'm going to start businesses to support them. But that's not me. I know God has called me to business and I was wrong. And it's just funny how the Lord changes us, uses us, prepares us. And I know he's done that in your life, brother. Thank you for for inspiring and educating our listeners and me. Luke 6.22 says this, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and when you're, they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. I just want to encourage anybody, whenever you get the opportunity to be rejected for Jesus, embrace it and praise God for it because it has truly been the greatest blessing of my life. Praise the Lord. Juan Elias Riesco, thank you so much for joining us. God bless you, bro. Blessings. So now you know. Before he became saved, Juan Elias was in the homosexual lifestyle, and he loved living for himself. He was able to leave his sinful lifestyle behind him by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ and getting connected to a really solid, Christ-honoring, gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church community. He ultimately shut down Nimi's Deli, but he looks back on those times with love, even for those who attacked him. And he has a greater desire today and readiness to bring the gospel into difficult and even dangerous places. Juan handled the protesters with a very unusual tactic, evangelism. And he sought to bring the gospel to those people who were attacking him. And the Lord actually used those times to give him an opportunity to preach the gospel. And God produced fruit through those efforts. He took his family to Dallas to help keep his family members safe. And then he came back to Chicago to start over. After reopening the deli for about a year, today he's using the skills and experiences that he used and gained. He moved his family to Dallas for a time to keep them safe, but then he came back to Chicago to start over. And today he's using the skills and experiences that he gained in 2020 to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to abortion mills in Chicago. And he says that sometimes the holiest thing that you can do at your job is not to leave it, but to stay and to work, to do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. You can check out Juan's work with Love Life Chicago and especially the 40-week journey to help end abortion in Chicago. Definitely check that out in the notes below for this episode. Now, if you want to accelerate your own growth as the worldview leader that your family and your church need you to be, join the Think Squad community today. There are about 800 others in the group on the same journey that you're on, joining together to share ideas, share interests, seeking to answer the world's questions from a biblical perspective. You will get access to PDF guides, links to helpful articles, brand new podcast episodes and videos, e-learning courses coming soon, and much, much more. Just open up Facebook and search for Think Squad, T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D. Answer the short membership questions. That's all it takes. So thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. And thank you to Juan Elias Riesco for joining us today. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes, and it is a production of the Think Institute. And you can help support the work of the Think Institute at thethink.institute slash partner. We are here to help Christian men get equipped to explain, 
share, and defend the Christian message. We are based by God's grace.